Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. All right, I'm here with Lisa. She does a lot of great uh, work for the community, and uh, so right now you're currently um, preventing human trafficking. Right now, correct? I am. Yes. I have a consulting practice that's using artificial intelligence and machine learning to help with the prevention of human trafficking. What, what motivated you to get into this particular field and, uh, and how did you get your initial start? Sure. Um, probably from the origin story, when I was a little kid, my mom was getting a master's in social work at the University of Michigan. And on days that you couldn't a babysitter, I got sat in the back of a lecture hall. So I think part of it was osmosis and always having an eye for caring about our community. Uh, but moving forward in my career, I studied engineering uh, and went to work in large tech companies uh, when I graduated. And I got the opportunity through those roles to visit 36 countries before the age of 30. Wow. And uh, as a, <laughs> it was a really cool way to get a PhD in life on the company dime. Okay. Uh, but with that, uh, I had a lot of opportunities to be immersed in other cultures and see the lives of women and children in those places and be able to contrast that to the very secure curated life that I was provided growing up in the Midwest uh, versus what I was seeing in places like Malaysia or the Philippines or China or Moscow. Um, it was just a very different path for a lot of women and children there. And uh, there's just some things you can't unsee. Really? Oh, can you, uh, can you share some of those things? I kind of want to give the audience like a picture of kind of the, the, uh, the bad things that occur in, in those uh, countries and uh, as well as our country. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty good myth out there that the state of, sorry, my puppy's barking. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, the state of things uh, are only happening over there. So I don't want to perpetuate that myth, but I can share with you what opened up my eyes and then talk a little bit more about what I see domestically as well. So uh, when I was in Malaysia, uh, we were in a Muslim country. It was a Tuesday night. Uh, we had just met with the uh, Minister of New Business because uh, we were setting a, a call center there really fulfilling an interesting day out in Cyberdia, learning about all the places they were laying great, you know, foundations of fiber to have cutting edge technology centers. And so uh, myself and a couple of colleagues decided to go explore downtown Kuala Lumpur and go see the town. And, you know, earlier in that day, we were at one of the largest towers in the world and I'm seeing women in full burqas and, and having that submersive experience. And then, not two hours later, I'm in a bar at midnight, and there's a little girl dressed up like Julia Roberts' character in the movie Pretty Woman, um, wow. who's seven years old, being walked around by an adult 
for sale. And there's just some things you don't unsee. And not, not every child is uh, has the luxury of being born into a functional family that will protect them. And it really just opened my eyes that What's the point of having power? What's the point of having leadership if you're not doing something to get back to our most vulnerable? Absolutely. I, I agree. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate that some, some kids come from bad families that don't really have their best interests in mind, or they don't even have a focus. They're just negligent in general. <laughs> yeah. On, uh, protecting them. Well, yeah. You know, I think it's really easy to villainize literally on the margins in forgotten places. And I, I don't want to be that way either. Um, right. You know, when you, when you come back to the U.S. and what I see locally in California, 72% of human trafficking victims are actually products of our foster care system. I think people have a really strong luxury of believing that um, these are other people's kids. It's happening over there. It's not something that I have to worry about here, but we live in an interconnected online world today. And many, many people have access to your children online. And for those kids that don't have somebody looking out for them, yeah. uh, people that are trying to do this crime aren't stupid. Uh, they're actually quite smart. It's too bad they haven't applied their skills towards being an entrepreneur of a legal business because yeah. they're really great marketers. They're yeah. really good salespeople and they're really good at profiling vulnerability. And this life of these kinds of digital natives, they don't really have the same sense of what's private and not private information that maybe people growing up without yeah. technology have. And they are great at putting out a lot of information about themselves so that if somebody wants to manipulate them, it's not so hard to do. Wow. Uh, are, are, are most of these guys, are they mainly sociopaths or like, what are they just mentally ill or? Uh, you know, I've done some job shadow days with Sacramento Sheriff or San Francisco SVU. So I've asked some of those questions myself. I would love to say that I know what the profile is. I don't. Uh, at the end of the day, what I've been told is the same people that are running wow. drugs and running guns are selling people. It's just another way to fund criminal enterprises. Uh, you can sell drugs once. You can sell a person 20 times a day. Um, they see it as a business model. I, they don't have any human connection to the people that are involved in Why wouldn't they? It's just so weird. Why wouldn't they take that that skill set and use it for something more productive in society. Like why, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, so they have to do, so let's just take this, this, most of the people listening to this podcast are business owners. So let's take this from a business perspective. I don't, I, I don't want to uh, be insensitive here, but what they're doing is they're, they're, they're doing their, profiling their market research on who would be an ideal candidate. Usually it's someone who comes out of the foster care system. It could be somebody that already has a great family too, right? Absolutely. Um, a friend of mine that led all the work that we did with nonprofits in 2017 uh, lost his wife. So he was in a, uh, a support group for widows. And one of the people that was in there was talking about how their 13-year-old daughter had posted about how unfair it was that um, her father had been taken by cancer. And she lives in a very affluent neighborhood in Silicon Valley. And within an hour, she had hundreds of predators reaching wow. out to her on standard social channels. These aren't the obscure 
platforms that nobody knows about. These are the things that we use to put cute little filters on our pictures and connect yeah. with our grandparents. It's, it's, people used to be really mindful about worrying about sending their kids to the park. Um, I would much rather in this day and age with the crime statistics send my, my children to the park unattended than put them on a social media platform without some kind of monitoring solution. They know where, they, they know where kids meet strangers today and it's not in the real world, it's in the virtual world. So, yeah, th this is my field, uh, you know, social media. Um, and there's definitely uh, detriments to kids using social media. There's obviously predators. It's a, it's a great playing ground for, for predators. But so, um, so the, these guys are just really, really bad people. And it's, Actually, it's you know, to just to dispense of that myth, um, I haven't done this research, but I'm on a nonprofit board and the CEO has. She spent yeah. years going to San Quentin and actually interviewing um, people who have been this crime. And what she found was of the 64 people she talked to over those multiple years that were uh, prosecuted for that crime, 63 of them had been victims themselves. So hurt people hurt people. Oh, wow. I think uh, wow. what's interesting to your audience um, and, and something I would be wanting them to really understand is people that are human trafficking victims are not going to present themselves as victims. They're under control of somebody who will abuse them if they don't make a certain amount of money a day physically. They often are coerced into believing this person loves them. And so there's a lot of, they call it like a, a Romeo pimp per se. So when you're out traveling for business, when you're at the conferences, when you're at the sporting events and you see men that you trust and respect making choices that are not in alignment with their values, um, say something, do something. Um, it is not a victimless crime. Uh, I think a statistic I've seen out there is 97% of people that sell themselves for sex are under the control of the people that are doing this out of their own free will. Yeah. Like the, the nice myths we all hear about are. Yeah. There's some, but they're not the majority. Yeah. I, I personally haven't, haven't seen it, um, you know, in my, you know, network or anything like that. But uh, yeah, certainly if I saw it, I would definitely call it out. I would definitely say, dude, you can't do this. And I would definitely cut that friendship off if, 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 it, if it came to that. Like, but I haven't experienced that yet, but you feel like there's, there's, people that have networks and they don't really mention, they don't really call it out for what it is. It's embarrassing and people don't want to make a big deal and it goes against that bro culture, right? Like we're all yeah. on a business trip or, you know, I don't want to get in somebody else's business. Like it, a lot of things are kind of looked past and I think those times are changing now. Uh, and I think it's a really positive thing because nobody wins in these scenarios. So great. Right. One night that was, have you put on the line? What what are you risking for something like that? And what have you contributed to? I think that's when people can take themselves one step past uh, yeah. a, a bad decision. They realize it's really not in their best interest to create demand for things like this. Do you feel like uh, working in this field, your view and the picture of uh, of your, your picture of men has been distorted because? because you work in this field and you're like, you, you, you see the worst in men. And so you tend to like, you, you tend to go, well, 
Jeez, men are kind of cruel. <laughs> Gosh, I hope not. Um, yeah. I'm I'm married to a wonderful man. Together, construction yeah. industry. Because I just I just imagine myself like being around this all the time. I'd be like, dude, men men suck. <laughs> I'm but, raising a man. Yeah. Uh, my, my son is in elementary school. I want him yeah. to be a good person. I think yeah. that. Um, I, I do a lot of keynotes about the role of male allies in my entrepreneurial journey and creating yeah. a successful social impact uh, software company. Um, men have been along my journey the whole way of supporting me and helping me be who I am yeah. today. I think that um, we all make poor choices when we're out of our context. We all do things that we think we never do. I think yeah. it's a matter of uh, creating that social fabric to support everyone involved. And that means including the people that uh, maybe made a really bad choice and don't want to be that kind of person. It's just a matter of secrets can't live in the dark. And I think when men can be transparent with their families, with their friends, with yeah. their loved ones, I just don't think that these things happen as much. Uh, and I think also um, men are, I wish everybody got to see the men I get to spend time with. It's the, yeah. Guys that work at the sheriff's department and interview 12, 13, 14-year-old girls that are scared out of their minds yeah, um, and just spend days talking to them to help them build their cases. It's men that give me hundreds of thousands of dollars because they've been successful in their careers and they want to see somebody do something meaningful because... In, in their words, uh, there's a pecking order in prison and people that do bad things to little girls are not high on that list. Real men stand up for kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I see examples of amazingly inspirational male leaders all day, every day. And I wish more people could see the kind of men that I get to spend my time with because they inspire me greatly. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go back to... Some, some of these guys, they, they, they look for, for younger girls on social media, and what they do is they, they, they see if there's, they're going through a life circumstance that would make them vulnerable, and then they, they find, or how, how do these guys normally find these girls, or how do they start communicating with them, and what are the telltale signs? Yeah, so there's some standard grooming behavior that you'll see out there. I, I don't pretend to be an expert in this. I'm not working on the front lines of yeah. uh, being the people that are working with survivors in the nonprofit realm. But I think that uh, you'll often see that I've seen statistics out there that people that kind of commit these kinds of crimes asking for explicit photos or uh, asking girls to run away. In fact, or sadly enough, one of my friends from working at a big tech company to share with me that her 16 year old was it's a gaming platform yesterday like they don't know where he is the fbi is involved um it's kids build relationships over time online with people that they grow to trust i think the concept of what a friend is is really murky to them uh growing up in the digital age they think that because you talk to somebody online for a few months you know them Clearly, uh, as you get older and your brain develops, uh, I think it's 24 is when you can fully anticipate long-term consequences. You would maybe make some different choices, but kids don't have that luxury. And right now, I think that we're in a weird time frame where people that are raising those age kids uh, don't recognize what they're getting exposed to on the Snapchats, the Instas, um, Fortnites, oh, Roblox, all the things. At the charity event yesterday, 
um, raising money for this topic. And one of the people pouring wine for us that happened to work at the winery shared that she works at a charter school and they had to go catch a ninth grader at a bus stop before she got on a Greyhound bus for meeting a guy she met on Roblox. Oh, Jesus. I mean, and thank God they did. But there's a lot of kids that don't get, don't get that intervention. And I don't think it's like anything else. I mean, if you want to convince somebody to think you're trustworthy and you put your best foot forward at all times with that intention, it's not that hard to do. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, how, how uh, prevalent is this problem? Um, Yeah. So we live in the time today where there are more slaves today than there is have been in any time in history. I think the most current stat I've seen is somewhere between 40 and 45 million people are enslaved. It's a mix of sex uh, trafficking and labor trafficking. Uh, They tend to split a little bit more along gender lines. You tend to see a little bit more sex trafficking of girls and a little bit more labor trafficking of boys. But of course, there's both in both categories. Um, in the U.S. alone, it's estimated that 150,000 children are sold for sex every day. It's not something that's... In the U.S. alone, it's 150,000? That's an estimate I've seen out there, yes. Every, every day? Every day, 20 times a day. Wow. Wow, okay. Um, and and uh, what, uh, how do you look out for these predators? Like, what are like, some signs... Yeah, so I think that it's important to recognize, you know, there's been a great campaign out there for a while. I think you probably see it at a lot of the airports and other public places like that. Uh, The Blue Campaign, my friend Mick McDowell uh, did that campaign. It was the See Something, Say Something campaign. Secrets cannot live in the dark. Uh, If you see something online you feel uncomfortable with, you can always report that to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children through their cyber tip. Uh, reporting line. If you're on a flight and you see something just doesn't feel right to you, maybe an older person sitting with a younger person, they're not communicating, it doesn't, something doesn't feel right to you, always say something to one of your flight attendants. They are trained on how to engage law enforcement areas. Um, If you see uh, somebody that is maybe looking injured, fearful, not under their own control, especially if you're a front lines at a school or at a hospital. Uh, first responders tend to see a lot of this on the front lines. There tends to be a relationship of love uh, uh, and violence going back and forth to keep these people under control. Um, you often see a lot of trafficking activity following the freeway system of the country because they often move people quickly quickly in order to prevent them from creating relationships where they can get help. Uh, But I think there's a lot of hope in these days. One of the great things about where we are from a technology standpoint with the trends of social and mobile and cloud is these kinds of crimes can only thrive when you can't pull the pieces of information together. And I think there's a lot of great innovative work that's happening across the ecosystem now with the tech companies, with law enforcement, with the nonprofit uh, and public-private partnerships to do more to disrupt this crime. Because when you have enough information, you can start to see the signs really clearly and intercept where necessary. When, when these guys get caught, like how, how long do they stay in prison for? 
You know, I, that's not an area I'm super familiar with. I would love yeah. to say I do know. Um, oftentimes what I've heard is they get prosecuted on multiple crimes, not just this one. Yeah. Uh, often like domestic violence, sometimes uh, the people that would be testifying against the criminal are not the greatest witnesses. They're really traumatized right. um, and manipulated. And so a lot of times I've seen them have multiple charges, uh, maybe in the areas of drugs or other places uh, that get layered on to make it a little bit easier to prosecute. I would like to see us do more of that, to be honest. It's just so crazy. The, the 150,000 number is just like insane. Now, so would you say, how, how what's the percentage of people, what, what would you say the percentage is of people that uh, are sex trafficked, that come from good neighborhoods, have good families, uh, as and then how many are from the foster care are, are human trafficked? Well, the statistic I do know is 72% of the people trafficked in California back in 2012, based on Camilla Harris's report, had some contact with their social services. Uh, so, so I guess you can separate out that math, make an assumption of people that were potentially trafficked across borders, and then uh, another mix of people that were born here. Really, anybody is susceptible if they have vulnerability, trauma in their background. Yeah. Um, if they don't understand healthy boundaries. Yeah. They don't have parents that are paying attention to who they're talking to on their phones late at night. Um, some of the things I really recommend, just really simple things you can do to make your, your family a lot less vulnerable to this. Charge your devices outside of the room in a public area. Um, follow the laws of not letting your kids on social media. Right now, no kid under the age of 13 is even technically allowed to be on social media. I think 16 is more reasonable. Um, 18. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to walk that line. You don't want to make them completely so um, sheltered that they don't know how to navigate the world, but you also want to give, and I believe in giving them exposure to small doses in a controlled environment so they can have teachable moments while they still care what you think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I like some aftermarket solutions, companies like Bark that are doing content moderation. So they're not just looking at what's on the public profiles, but they're also helping to monitor what's happening on the private direct channels, because that's usually where things get out of hand quickly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just remember that you're not just monitoring for what your kids do, you're monitoring for what people are sending to your kids. And that that's your role as a gatekeeper. We all grew up in the days of like the family phone where somebody actually answered and said, who is this calling my child? Um, and how do you actually know them? And why are you calling my house? Uh, somehow we lost that in a generation or two. And I think bringing that back is really important. Do you mind if I talk, uh, do you mind if I take a picture of this? So I'm gonna post it on social media and just talk about how we're talking about human trafficking. <laughs> uh, and bringing awareness to it. That's crazy. Um, okay, so what I find this really disturbing, I think we talked about this, you know, previously, is like all these social media channels like TikTok. I've never seen, uh, I've never seen anything like this, but there's a lot of really young girls, like half naked on TikTok. And I use it for marketing, you know, but I think it's really disturbing. And there's like a trend out there when you see a girl who um, is half naked, you look at the comments and she may be like 13 and like you see all these guys saying, this is why I don't want to have a daughter. This is why I don't want to have a daughter. Like it's a common, like it's a common comment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like every time I see that, I'm like, dude, this is not okay. 
Yep. What, what, who's allowing this? Like, who's allowing these girls to, to do that, especially in this, in this predatory environment? Uh, it's like a cesspool of, uh, you know, bad actors that are, that are going to TikTok potentially. I think they are going to TikTok. And like, why, why I don't understand. Are parents letting this happen? Are they okay with their daughters? Like, I don't think parents understand what happens on TikTok. I don't think that anybody's intentionally allowing this. I think that companies are under a lot of pressure to be lenient with what they allow on their platforms because there's not a lot of clear regulation around this. And if they don't build a platform that kids like, somebody else will. I think that parents are, didn't, weren't raised with this kind of technology access. So they think, oh yeah, we got bullied. Oh yeah, we got into, we found pornography. Oh yeah, we were fine. Like let them rub a little dirt in it. They don't really understand the magnitude of what kids are getting exposed to and the barrage of pressures that they're receiving 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They don't understand what they're seeing online from celebrities that normalize behavior that isn't anything but normal. And we're just living through a time where, unfortunately, I think the next 10 years are going to be murky. I think if you go 10 years in the future, the people that are parenting this age group of 8 to 18-year-olds are going to have had access to this kind of technology and be like, oh, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're going to do with that. And absolutely not. You're not going to have that. Yeah. Well, then it's uh, a little bit of the Wild West. And I would like to see... Um, the same way we regulate things like driving or uh, access to poisonous material or all the other things that can really create a lot of um, deaths in young people, uh, we start to think about what we're doing with technology because it's a really uncontrolled experiment and we have enough data now to know that we can do better than what we're doing today. Have you, have you personally been on TikTok? At all? <laughs> I haven't, but I've sold child safety solutions to multiple live streaming platforms. So I have a pretty good sense of uh, what are the challenges that are, are happening out there. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Honestly, it's, it's so ridiculous. Like, every, it's like uh, you, could, you could scroll past like maybe five and you'll see probably one in five uh, girls are trying to, to um, you know, have like sex appeal on their on their posts and, and stuff like that and it's like it's not okay <laughs> like well um, this is what happens when you have a a period of time where there are no age gates on adult content and you the average age of a first phone in this country is 10 years old so when you give eight to 10 year olds unfettered access to every piece of adult content the world has ever thought of uh, and parents readily give out these phones because their kids want to, they want their kids to have the latest and greatest and they want to be the favorite. Um, it only takes one or two kids per class to see everything ever made and make that an expectation with their peers. I think there's a lot of like this fear around the adults, but what I see a lot of, especially in my product development, running my company, MinorGuard, where we were focused on using technology to disrupt sexting and sextortion amongst kids themselves, was that it's, it's just the new first base. It's completely normalized behavior. And the kids think that if they don't send a picture back when their peer asks them for something, they won't get any connection or love or be deserving of any kind of relationship. So we have done a really poor job 
of helping kids understand appropriate relationships in an age of way too much information. And so we're not talking to them about it at the right time. So they're learning it from their peers on the internet, which really sucks. How do you address like, okay, so, you know, uh, uh, attention is not the same as respect. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, but the thing is like, I think it's confusing to a lot of girls. I'm having a girl in April, so, (laughs) but it's confusing to a lot of girls when the, this, the, it seems like the girls that are showing the most skin are getting the most attention. Um, and then, so they see that as like, well, they're getting attention. Maybe I should do the same thing. And maybe they weren't showing skin and stuff like that. Maybe they were just like showing their personality and then they were like, well, I'm not getting the traction I want. So I'm going to start mm-hmm. showing skin. How, like, what do you say to, to a girl that's like that, that is seeing all these successful females? I say a lot more to my son than I do my daughter. It's not her responsibility to fix poor behavior of people. Uh, in my mind, we need to raise a generation of boys and men that, respond differently to what they see and maybe take a pulse and a beat to think about what they're incentivizing. Um, We all know working in social and mobile that uh, likes and attention and interaction is monetizable and you're going to get what you reward. And I think that we need to be mindful of how it's rolling downhill. Yeah, I I don't know if that's that's going to really address the issue. I think it's mainly going to be like parents that just become more aware. And and I hope you're right, but I've been yeah. yelling this from the rooftops for 15 <laughs> for 5 years at least and yeah. um, I think it's on the list of things that parents worry about right there with like non-GMOs and vaccinations and <laughs> And I think parents are working a lot. They're consumed with their own digital lives. They are doing the best that they can and they're worn out and technology is a babysitter and they don't recognize that it's a really unqualified babysitter in a lot of cases. Wow. Um, So, okay. So what are some things that people that can do? What what are things that the people in the business community can do to address this problem? And, um, and uh, how would you how would you go about it? Yeah, I think if this sparks a, some kind of ignition in you that you want to do something more, I think there's a couple things that are kind of interesting that people can do. What I notice in the tech community a lot is that it's not a lack of technology experts that could do more to address this problem with social tech companies. It's a lack of resources to do so. Uh, I don't see a lot of people with sales and marketing backgrounds like we all have um, involved in this campaign. So I think that if that's something that interests you, there's a lot of great nonprofits that could always use help in these areas of doing more to educate a, a really nascent market. So places like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, uh, Humans Against Trafficking, uh, THORN are some of my favorites that I work with and I spend my time at, and helping them to get the word out and the message out. We all have social platforms, we all have followers. If you could pull some of their campaign and education materials and just get that out to a broader audience, I think we could do a lot to make a lot of um, benefit there. (laughs) Secondly, if you have a burning desire to take it to the next level like I did, I, I was a traditional director of a cloud group at a big tech company. I had a very comfortable life uh, selling servers. It's not that hard to do, to be frank with you. Really? Selling servers? <laughs> well, when you work for a company that sells 97% of them to the cloud, it's not that hard. 
Uh, so with that in mind, uh, I was looking for a little bit more mission and meaning infusion in my day in day out job. And so I identified this problem as something I wanted to do that specifically called to me. But I would love to see more people work on animal rights or immigration reform or senior care or whatever your topic is, looking for organizations that could create public-private partnerships to help advance some of those missions and build more social fabric in. These crimes happen when people are desperate. These pr crimes happen with large refugee populations, with poverty, with all the kinds of things that are really tough, hairy problems. And I think it's really cool that we live in the age of machine learning, data science, AI. How do we start using some of these problems to test out these technologies and really make huge leaps forward in that space? I think people on this, this podcast could be the kind of people that could pick that kind of topic and do a lot of um, that applies to their day jobs, but also be helping out the world while doing it. Hmm, interesting. Okay, what are you? What are your next steps? Like personally, as a as a female, you have you have a great family here. Um, and but what are the next steps for you? Yeah. So right now, I'm preparing for my TEDx talk in July on using AI right. to disrupt human trafficking. So I'm excited for that. Uh, doing a lot more keynotes in this space. I think. Uh, seeing more female role models of successful female entrepreneurs, sharing a little bit more of the mystique of how to raise money, uh, helping to show men how to be better allies to women leaders has been really areas of passion that I have. Uh, I'm planning to write a book next year in the areas of leading an integrated life, how work and family and community and self-care can coexist all together. And last but not least, I do a lot of consulting into the tech industry about human trafficking prevention at big events like the Olympics and trying to help people really take uh, that action forward because I think this is an unintended consequence of technology. Nobody was planning to create a platform to make this so much easier and we can do a lot more to rise up and say no more. This is not okay. Okay. And uh, I, I love that. I love that you're actually trying to do something about this um, and trying <laughs> to, 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 to make the community a better place. Uh, communities just better. Um, what are, uh, you know, have you ever, have you ever ran a business before? Yeah, run I thought, run a business. I have. So I have my startup minor guard with a friend from Apple. Uh, we were building technology to identify when children were taking nudie cutie pictures on their phones and helping to block it at the source never got the device yeah you mentioned that yeah yeah so we uh ran that business through 2018 and now um apple has made some adjustments to their settings in ios 14 that prevents some of that behavior on platforms like snapchat and uh bark technologies has taken some of those ideas and is implementing them on chromebooks uh to um in a wow. partnership with Lenovo. So really exciting to see some of that coming out in the wild. And I think that technology will just continue to grow and, and be successful. What, what is that platform? What does what the platform address? Like how, how does it, how does it work? If you don't mind me. Yeah. Well, um, I can't get into too many oh, details oh, gotcha. because I don't gotcha. own the technology <laughs> gotcha. Uh, gotcha. and how they did it, but uh, they're using machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms to uh, help people get out of their own way make, and make good decisions and not have lifelong consequences of generating contraband at the age of 12. That's technically a wow. felony. Um, that's a felony at 12 years old to have it's contraband? a felony to generate, distribute, or receive child pornography in any form. Oh, gotcha. 
And uh, unfortunately, with smartphones today, you can do it in 30 seconds at any age. And uh, there are people that are on the sex offender registry for the uh, rest of their lives that almost, were under 18 when they did this. I almost thought you can be charged as a felon at 12. That's what I thought I heard you initially say, but. You can be put on a sex offender registry and at, it will follow the rest of your life. 12 years old? 20, 25% of the people that are on the sex offender registry were under the age of 18 when they were put on it. Holy crap. Whew. Um, yeah, just not a problem that would have happened in the 80s, right? Like, how would this crime even happen? Are you going to take a picture on, like, a disposable camera and take it to a drugstore to get the film, like, to developed? Somebody would, yeah. somebody would say something. That's not the age we live in now. This is a 30-second decision stepping out of the shower in the bathroom these people think they're send, sending it to somebody that cares about them there's still the kids that don't want to be they have nightmares at english class they're not looking to be exposed to the world they're just really trusting and naive and sometimes easily taken advantage of by their peers or by predators wow um so you so if you're 12 years old you, you can be put on a sex offender list and there's nothing that can prevent people from thinking anything wrong of you if you're like in your 20s or 30s or 40s and it's something you did in, when you were 12. Yeah, um, there's a documentary from Lisa Ling. Um, she does a This Is Life yeah. documentary. She did one on children that are on sex offender registries. I think it's really eye-opening to parents. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that it's really wrong or do you think that like... I think we're living in a really difficult time of legislating technology. Yeah. I think we're living in a time where uh, the legal system isn't able to keep up with what's current and happening out there in the wild. And I yeah. think parents have a significantly larger role to play than they are even aware that they do. Um, or aunties or uncles or just caring adults, trusting adults. Um, I see a lot of men rising to the occasion, doing interventions. I know there's groups on TikTok that will literally like come back to girls and be like, I just found your picture on this website that's a pornography website. Did you know that people were snapshotting what you're doing? And like helping these girls understand what's going on. But I think it's really, really crappy that we're putting the responsibility on little kids to know better instead of putting it on the adults where the adults would be shouldering this responsibility. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, if, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, uh, how would they do so? Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So, go ahead and check out Lisa Thee uh, on LinkedIn, and you can follow some of the work that I do there. And uh, I'll be deploying my speaking website in the next couple of months, so that'll be another place. Awesome! Awesome! Cool.